Welcome to Coffee Cow's Questions. This is Ryan Polly. You know, it has been a fun and busy summer. One of the things that I've been working on and trying to get more of is speaking opportunities. And so uh, that has been uh, happening this summer. And for those of you uh, who have been following and praying for me, I just uh, want to say I thank you and uh, I appreciate it. Uh, for those of you who haven't, just some of the kind of the highlights uh, of what's been going on. Um, right after school uh, for me ended, a Summit Ministries started and I was at Summit uh, for three weeks, a week of training and then two weeks uh, with the students as the classroom coordinator. And so that was uh, as fun as it always is. And I just love being at Summit and I love uh, getting to make those uh, connections and build relationships with the students and the staff and uh, the speakers that come in. And that was just a wonderful time, uh, those two weeks there at Summit California and Biola. Um, right after that, I went to Colorado and had a little vacation for my brother's wedding and uh, and spent some time at home. But while I was there, I had the opportunity to speak at Ratio Christi Colorado State University on the 30th of June. Uh, I gave my talk on World Religions, Can They All Be True? And, and that was a great group of, uh, of students and, and uh, leaders there that uh, just asked good questions and had so much fun being with them. Uh, after that, I was down at uh, Hume San Diego. Uh, is a Hume Christian camp down in San Diego, speaking for the junior hires uh, on July 12th. And uh, that talk was, uh, can we re- trust what the Bible really says? And then um, and then that afternoon, doing a Q&A that lasted about an hour and a half uh, with a good group of students. And so a few hundred students there in the morning, and then about 20, 30, 40 students there in the afternoon for the open uh, Q&A, Ask Me Anything, and just, again, uh, had a great time with them. Um, after that, uh, July 15th, I was at a... A church retreat uh, up in Santa Clarita and uh, did the atheist role play along with a new talk on uh, what's your bias and, and helping train these students to go to Berkeley next week. And I'll be going with them to Berkeley, uh, but train them to have conversations with atheists, think through some of the objections uh, that we're going to be talking about here in the show, and then also uh, helping them understand uh, bias and what is bias and good bias and, and bad bias and, and just uh, how that affects the decisions and the things that we do. And so I had a great time uh, with that uh, group of students up in Santa Clarita on Saturday. And then just this last Wednesday, I was at Hume Lake Christian Camp um, up north in the mountains in uh, about Central California and was able to speak to the adults, uh, about 50 or so adults, probably in the morning, pastors and leaders, on how relativism is undermining their students' faith in Christ, and uh, just had a great time with them, and just helping them uh, kind of see the 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 changes that were that are happening in culture, uh, helping them see how postmodernism is influencing uh, their students again, which what we'll be talking about on the show today, and um, and then I had the chance of talking with the students twice uh, in the morning, uh, once on can we trust what the Bible really says, the other one on uh, is Jesus really the only way to heaven. And then what was really cool um, is that in the afternoon, uh, during their free time, I was having an Ask Me Anything Q&A, about 50 students showed up uh, for this Q&A session that was supposed to go from 3.30 to 4.30. It it went from 3.30 to 5. At 5 o'clock, a bunch of the guys were like, oh, no, we're going to miss dinner. And they left because uh, it was dinner time. And the girls kind of stayed behind. I said, well, don't you have to get dinner? And they said, oh, no, the guys eat first. We eat second. Uh, so then the girls stayed for about another 30 minutes till 5.30. And uh, when they were leaving, and then some of the guys were coming back to ask more questions that they couldn't ask. And I ended up asking or answering questions until about 6.30 that night. So about three hours. 
and it, it was so encouraging as as just these students had so many questions these students wanted to understand christianity more deeply and it was it was so encouraging uh and i loved my time up there at hume lake they're doing an incredible thing uh with those high school kids and so that's kind of a quick uh update on what's been happening with me this summer and, and kind of why I haven't been podcasting and blogging as much as, as normal. Just been really busy writing these talks and, and traveling. Um, and then kind of looking forward uh, on Monday, uh, the 20, uh, what is it, the 24th, I believe, I'll be leaving to go uh, to Berkeley uh, with uh, Church Every Day's uh, youth group, as well as Brett Kunkel from Standard Reason on the Berkeley mission trip. I get back on Saturday and then the following Tuesday, I'll leave again to drive back up to Hume Lake Christian Camp uh, we'll be speaking on uh, Wednesday, August 2nd, uh, up there again to the leaders and students. And so uh, just really, really fun summer uh, that's kind of been going on. So anyways, as we jump into the show this morning, um, I want to be talking about four apologetic lessons that we can learn from the Open Championship. Now, if you haven't been following golf, the the Open Championship is one of the four major championships uh, in golf every year. And so I was watching it uh, this weekend. Today was day three. Jordan Spieth is leading at 11 under par, shot a 65 today. Uh, But I want to talk about some of the things that I noticed uh, this past week while at Hume Lake and doing the Atheist Role Play as well as watching the Open Championship. And so that's what we're going to be discussing today is the four things, four apologetic lessons that you can learn from watching the Open Championship. And as always, uh, just a, a way for you guys to connect, uh, you can send in your questions and comments on this show at contact at coffeehousequestions.com. Uh, you can go to Facebook page, uh, the Coffee House Questions Facebook. Uh, you can text them in at 714-989-6927. And then you can also connect on Twitter, Instagram, and now Snapchat. Uh, the, the ad there is at uh, RyanPolly3. And so you can connect with me there. All right. So this weekend uh, is the, uh, the, uh, the Open Championship uh, being, taking place right now. Today was day three. And uh, there is just a lot of good golf going on. And, and as I was watching this, there are four huge things uh, that I've kind of been thinking about the last four weeks that came up uh, that I realized really kind of connect with this uh, with with golf. And as I was watching this championship. And so, uh, first of all, the first lesson, the first apologetic lesson, I think that we can learn from the Open Championship is the importance of preparation. Uh, there is a ton of preparation that goes into this golf. And, and Jordan Spieth is leading uh, the, cha- the, the tournament right now. And I was looking up some articles on some of the stuff that he does. And there is some serious preparation that happens off the greens. Uh, it doesn't, he doesn't just show up at these tournaments and expect uh, to be you know, one of the best golfers in the world and to be leading the field. Uh, but he works hard the entire time. And, and all year long, and he's been doing this for years and years. And, and it goes from his sleep to what he eats to his workout routine to, to everything that kind of goes into this. And, you know, I, I was even as I was watching uh, the Open yesterday, uh, the announcers were talking about how uh, for some of the major, the big time golfers, uh, they restructure their entire year around the four major tournaments and how all the other tournaments are them kind of making their tweaks and making their adjustments and Yes, of course they want to win, but they're really working on stuff and trying to prepare and practice. And those are kind of like the test tournaments, so to speak, in preparation for the four majors. And so there is some serious preparation that happens in order to go into these major tournaments and succeed and to do well. 
And this reminds me of, of even my time playing uh, sports. In high school, I played basketball, I played golf, and I played baseball, and then I ended up playing baseball in college. And I thought about the, the hours and hours of time that we spent preparing for games through practices and even just the time in Little League and just growing up as, as a little kid and, and putting the, the hard work into it. And, and every now and then, there is someone who, who doesn't put in that much work and can succeed because of just pure talent. Um, and I did see that. But I also saw people that had incredible pure talent that ended up failing later on because they didn't put in the work necessary. And there were people that were working harder than them. Uh, and then I also saw people that didn't have a lot of talent that worked harder than I've seen anybody else work that really succeeded. And so I think that there's something to this. And now when we kind of take this and look at this from two different ways, I think the apologetic lesson we can learn from preparation is first, how much preparation are we doing as, as apologists? How much time are we putting in to working hard to understand the truth of Christianity, to respond to objections against Christianity, and to think about all the different things that are going to come up on uh, while we're having these conversations? How much preparation, how much time are we putting in to do this well? Do we expect that we can just show up at events, that we can just show up somewhere and we're just going to know all the answers when someone asks us questions? Or are we really putting in the time and the hard work that's necessary to succeed as apologists, as teachers, maybe even as parents? Um, but then even as students, uh, as, a, as a high school teacher, I want to train students and teach them to help them succeed in life, to help them be lifelong followers and committed followers of Jesus Christ. But again, I, I don't think that, that we can just do no work with them and then expect them to have this lifelong committed relationship with Jesus. I think that if we want to have them be lifelong committed followers of Christ, it takes some extra work. It takes us sitting down with them and in, in working through different scenarios, working through the truth claims of Christianity, working through the issues in their life, working through ethical dilemmas, working through all this stuff and preparing them before they go off to life. Just like the golfers don't just show up and at the course and just say, okay, I, I guess I'm ready to go. And they, they prepare off the greens. We need to kind of prepare kind of in our own spaces so that then we can go out into the world and, and to, to evangelize and to have these kind of conversations with people. Now, I think one huge thing that I've been uh, privileged to participate with in doing this is with the trips with Brett Kunkel and Stan Reason. Uh, last summer, I went on the Utah trip, and I had the, the privilege of joining them and seeing this, this preparation that went in beforehand and then sticking them out uh, in the real world, so to speak, with conversations with real Mormons where their preparation was then tested. The same thing next week. I'm, I'm going with a group of students uh, up to UC Berkeley where there is training that goes into preparing these students to, to defend the truth claims of Christianity. We then take them up to Berkeley. Uh, atheists, real atheists are going to come give presentations to these students, present the other side, and these students then have to deal with these, these arguments in the real world, in real life, with real life conversations with atheists, and as well as on the UC Berkeley campus. Um, I'm planning to do this again with, with my students. As, as I study uh, the philosophy of ethics, that's what I'm going to be teaching this year at my school, 
Uh, next spring, we're going to be taking them on a pro-life mission trip with Alan Schleeman from Stand to Reason and, and have this kind of set up where, where there's going to be this training and this serious preparation happening in the classroom, helping them defend the case for life, helping them answer the truth claims of Christianity, and then taking them out and actually putting it into practice. And so I think this is something that we can really learn is, is the golfer doesn't only prepare uh, on, on the driving range. He doesn't just get there on the putting greens and the driving range and just practice, 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 and never do anything with it. No, they're, they're preparing for something. They're preparing for the championship, for that tournament. But again, they don't just show up at that tournament and wing it. There is a lot of preparation that goes into it. And so just think about uh, the people who succeed well, generally speaking, it's a rare exception if they're not working hard, if they haven't put a ton of time into something. And so I think that's the first lesson that we can learn from the Open Championship is just the importance of preparing and then taking that preparation and putting it into use, kind of in this real world, the, the championship, that tournament, uh, and, and test our preparation. The second thing that I think that we can learn from the Open Championship is the idea of persistence and just keep pushing forward. Today was day three of the Open. These golfers have to play four days in a row, 18 holes a day for four days. You can't just have one good day, three bad days, and win the tournament. It's not going to work. In order to win the tournament, you have to put together four pretty good days and be consistent all four days in order to win. Now, if you've ever played golf, to me, it's one of the hardest sports. Um, I, it's so frustrating when I go out and play. I'll play 15 holes really good and then 16, 17, 18 just blow it. And my score reflects something of an okay day. And it's like, well, you, you know, I shot all right. But when I, if I were to eliminate those last three holes, it's like, oh my goodness, I did so well in the first 15. Because it's this consistency and man, a couple bad shots can just put you in a really tough place. But again, you watch these golfers and they'll have a bad shot and their ability to recover, their ability to come back, to not let that bad shot get in their mind blows me away. And that is what makes them these championship golfers. So I think, I think but now to our life, how then do we apply that to our life? Well, there's going to be some difficulties that come our way. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be maybe questions that we can't answer. There's going to be challenges we can't respond to. There's going to be someone who presents an argument in a way that we don't know how to respond. And we can let that and, and just dwell on that and, and just let that defeat us. Or we can say, wow, that's a great question. I don't know. Let me figure it out. Let me push back. Let me, let me, let me stand back up. Right? We might go up to UC Berkeley or, or to Salt Lake City or to our friend's house or whatever it may be and have someone present stuff that we don't know and kind of beat us up and kind of win the argument, so to speak. Do we let that just keep us down or do we go, wow, I did not respond very well. Let me now train better. Let me prepare better. And this is where that preparation comes in. I guarantee you that when these professional golfers are preparing uh, for the championship tournaments, they uh, are not just placing their ball in the middle of their fairway and having these nice, easy shots, right? They probably go into the bunker, but again, they're not just placing the ball on the nice, you know, right on top of the sand and having these nice, easy bunker shots. That's not what they're practicing. But I guarantee you when they're preparing, they're practicing the hard shots, hard shots. They're putting their ball in the, in the deep rough. They're putting the ball on the edge of the bunker. How am I going to get out of these situations? So that when it happens in the tournament, they're not shocked. They're not surprised. 
and, and and maybe there is a weird place that their ball gets put in during a tournament. I guarantee you after the tournament, they're probably going to go practice that same shot in case it happens again. And I think that that is something huge for us to do. This last Saturday, I did the atheist role play and I was trying to present arguments uh, that maybe these students had never heard before. And, and so one thing that this is doing is it's preparing them and it's training them in the protection of, of, of their church and this, and this camp that they're at so that when they go up to Berkeley, when they go out into, into the world and they have these objections coming from other people, they've heard them before, they've done it before, and that it's not going to knock them off their feet as much because th that, they've gone through that experience before and they know what to expect. And so I think this is kind of a second big thing is that we need to stay consistent, right? We, we, we need to keep pushing through these kind of difficult times or these difficult conversations and, and staying consistent, relying on our training, relying on our preparation, and then we will succeed. Third apologetic lesson from the Open Championship is this idea of ethics, now, this one might be a little bit more of a stretch, but here, here's what I'm thinking, is that as I'm watching this tournament, there are, uh, there are rules and there are right things to do and there are wrong things to do, right? There are certain uh, things that, that if you hit the ball in a certain way, that's a penalty. If you touch your club to the sand when you're in the sandbox, that's a penalty, right? And there are these objective standards, these objective rules that must be followed. And it doesn't matter what you think about them. It doesn't matter uh, how you feel about them. It doesn't matter uh, how it affects you. Um, these are the rules. They're stated and you have to follow them. Now, I remember when I played high school golf, on the way to every single tournament, our coach gave us a rule book test. Uh, maybe I feel like it was on the way to every tournament. Uh, but we, he would, about halfway into our drive, he'd say, okay, here's your test. And we, he would give us a test on the rule book. He expected us to know the rule book. And then we had to play golf following those rules. You can't just make up whatever rules you want. And I think that this is uh, huge when it comes to sports. And you recognize this when it comes to any sport. Right? In order for there to be kind of this peace, in order for there to be the ability for people to play together and not have chaos, there needs to be rules and people have to follow the rules. And this is kind of this objective standard. Now, this came up because I think that there's something that kind of happened uh, in my conversations the last few weeks that helped me realize or see that I think that we are approaching um, the, these ethical, moral decisions, possibly from the wrong angle. In fact, even a postmodern worldview. Let me explain. When I uh, am having these conversations with students uh, in my work and over the summer and, and in these different places, I, I normally hear something like this. You know, the, the church keeps telling us that, you know, drinking and, and, and sex before your marriage and doing drugs and these sort of things, this is wrong. But it, I don't feel like it affects me and I don't see it affecting my friends around me. And so I don't see anything wrong with it. Right. And so here the students are coming from a different perspective. Right. The, the Christian view of ethics is that there's an objective standard of right and wrong grounded in love. Right. Jesus said the two greatest commandments of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And then God has revealed himself and revealed his laws to us through scripture. And these laws are unchanging in God's character. And so if God says something is wrong, it's wrong. And it's objectively wrong. Uh, murder is objectively wrong no matter how you feel about it. Uh, no matter how, what you think about it. It's right or wrong in the action itself, 
not my feelings. This is not a subjective thing. But as we see, and as I've talked about before in the Barna research, 37% of young Christians think that morality is subjective, meaning that it's based on the subject themselves and their feelings, their thoughts about it, rather than in the action itself. And so I think this happens when, when students start to say, you know, I don't see the effects of this on my life. I don't see it affecting other people. I can go out and I can drink and, and I'm still a happy person and I'm not, you know, doing anything wrong. And I'm, not, you know, and my friendships are still strong and, you know, I can sleep with my girlfriend and, you know, it's not hurting us and it's not hurting anybody else. So I don't see anything wrong with us. Now, a lot of times then I think the parent or the pastor, or the teacher or someone responds from that saying, so no, 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 it does affect you. And then we try and give reasons to the student, showing them that, no, this thing does affect you. But again, I think that this is coming from a wrong view of ethics. We are then now trying to have this postmodern view of ethics, trying to show that this does have an effect on their life, and that's why they shouldn't do it. Rather than showing, no, God said this is wrong, this is objectively wrong, and so it doesn't matter how it affects you. It doesn't matter what you think about it, it's just wrong. The action is wrong in and of itself, and, it, and it's independent of what you think or you feel about it. And so I think that we possibly, we need to stop maybe, maybe having that kind of this relative subjective view of morality and having that discussion with students where we try to say, no, this does affect you, and, and, and kind of catering or looking at it from their point of view, and instead change their point of view. Change the fact that, no, God does say this is wrong. Now, what students might respond then is say, well, then what Christianity is, is this big, long list of rules. I once had a student tell me that. Oh, I went to this talk and I said, how did you like the talk? And he goes, well, it was just a list of don'ts. Don't drink, don't do drugs, don't have sex, and you'll be successful. Oftentimes, we as leaders present Christianity as this long list of don'ts. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Now, a good friend of mine, Dustin Jismijan, who works at Summit Ministry, what he says is, is not this long list of don'ts, but give the students a greater yes. Help them see that there is something better that they could be spending their time doing, that there's something better that is waiting for them. There's something more rewarding, more satisfying, that gives more fulfillment and more joy. Again, this is this perspective change, and I've had conversations with students about this where I try to help them see, no, it's not just don't, 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 don't. It's not just that your parents have all these rules that you have to follow, but I think that if you truly love your parents, then you will want to do the things that they ask you to do. And that's why I think that when you truly understand and love God, then you will want to do the things that he has commanded us to do because we recognize that there's true joy and happiness found in following God. And so again, this is kind of changing this perspective that we have, that when we do what God has called us to do, then we have true peace and true joy and true happiness and true freedom because freedom is doing what we were created to do, not just doing whatever we want to do. And so I think even this view of ethics is important that we can learn that there is an objective standard. It's not just a big long list of rules of don't, 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 but it, it gives us the ability to have a follow a greater yes. There's something better that we could be doing with our time. You know, I was at, when I was at Hume Lake during my, uh, one of my talks, I asked the students, I said, hey man, you've been up here for four days and there's no cell phone service. What have you been doing without phones? How have you survived? What have you been doing? And immediately student says, we've been doing much better things. I said, that is a great answer, right? Oftentimes you go, oh, there's no cell phone service. What am I going to do? 
when in reality, there's so much better things to do than to sit on our phone. I was sitting there the night after my talk. I had, you know, spoken three times plus about three hours of Q&A. And my internet had run out. I only had 24 hours and it ran out. And I said, well, I'm going to go to bed in two or three hours. Should I buy another 24 hours of internet? And I said, you know, I'm sitting up here in beautiful creation. I'm just going to sit here, eat a milkshake, and just enjoy watching the lake and the beauty around me. I think oftentimes we, we focus on, on, I need to be doing these things, or I can't do this, or I can't, you know, have to do this. And instead, recognizing that there's something better that we could be doing with our time. I had a conversation with a student while I was up there as well. And he was talking to me about music and what my opinions were on music. And I said, you know, I, I, I obviously think that there's some music that we probably shouldn't listen to that just has some very terrible things in it. Um, but I'm not going to say that we have to listen to only Christian music because I don't listen to only Christian music. Um, I listen to some non-Christian music. Um, but again, I don't listen to some things that have some terrible lyrics. But I said, you know, in my car, now I still listen to music at home and in my classroom and stuff. Uh, but in my car, I've stopped listening to music. And it's not because I think it's bad but because I realized that there's, I could be doing something better with that time. That every morning I have a 25-minute drive to work that I could be learning. I could be doing something better rather than just filling that space with kind of this entertainment thing that I can zone out while I drive. And so I have 20-something podcasts that I listen to. On my way up to Hume Lake, it took me five and a half hours there, five and a half hours back. I listen to podcasts the whole time or uh, the audio Bible. And that's what I've started doing is listening to the audio Bible on my way to work and then podcasts on my way home, recognizing that there's something better that I could be doing with my time uh, in the car rather than just listening to music. And so it's not that music is bad, but there's something better that I could be doing. And so recognizing this third lesson, recognizing that there's this objective standard out there that we have to follow, but it's not just, oh, I have to follow it, this legalistic thing I have to follow, but recognizing that there's something good, something better that we can be doing with our times. We're following this greater. Yes. The last thing, point number four, the fourth lesson, a fourth apologetic lesson I think that we can learn from the open championship is this idea that we can't reinterpret the rules how we want. You know, I was talking with uh, the leaders and uh, at Hume Lake about how relativism is undermining their students' faith and how a lot of us have this very postmodern view. And one idea of postmodernism is the idea of deconstructionism. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. But this idea of deconstructionism means that the reader's interpretation is more important than the author's intent. That even a, a very strong view of deconstructionism is that there is no meaning in words. The only meaning is what the reader interprets. And, and so when you are reading something, you can just put whatever meaning you want to it rather than trying to understand what did the author mean. And so, you know, when I present this to my students, I say something like, if, if I were to write, you know, test tomorrow on the board, but you read that to say there's no test, then your interpretation is the correct one. It doesn't matter what I meant. And we often do this when we look at scripture, right? I, I think that a lot of times we say, you know, well, what does this verse mean to me? Now, sometimes that's saying, how can I apply this verse to my life? But oftentimes we are reading our own interpretation into this. We are letting our kind of emotions and our um, experiences reinterpret scripture. And I think this happens a lot when we look at scriptures on the topic of homosexuality in scripture, that we let our emotions and our experiences try to reinterpret scripture. And I had conversations with other people of how uh, just how do we get students out of this place, reading what they want into scripture. And it's recognizing, no, we're not living in this postmodern uh, worldview, that words do have an objective meaning. 
and that God has revealed himself to us in scripture and we have to understand that and then live by that and we can't change it based on our experiences in the same way these golfers at the open championship there is an objective rule book and they can't reinterpret the rules based on their own experiences they can't say well i feel like i'm going to want to hit the ball like this and and it's going to be fine no it doesn't matter how you feel it doesn't matter what you think there is this objective standard there's objective rules and you have to follow it the rule book is written and you have to read it and understand it you can't put your own interpretation to it And so I think those are the four lessons that we can learn from the Open Championship uh, that help us in apologetics. One, we have to work hard in preparation. We have to be consistent and continue to push forward even when times get tough. We need to recognize there's this objective standard, this greater good that we can be doing. And Christianity is not just a bunch of list of no's. Uh, and it's not this relative standard of ethics. And then also that there's this objective thing out there that we have to understand. We can't just allow our own feelings, our own interpretation, our own emotions control and affect what we see around us. Well, thank you so much for listening to Coffee House Questions. As always, make sure you send in your comments and questions. I'd love to hear from you and hear what you guys think. I'll be traveling a little bit more this summer, uh, but I thank you for your prayers and for all of you who have been uh, supporting me in that. Uh, I thank you very much. You've been listening to Coffee House Questions. Ryan Paul.